0: Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. Today about love. And uh, my message today is entitled, The More Excellent Way. William E. Gladstone said this, We look forward to a time when the power of love will replace the love of power. Then our world will know the blessings of peace. Listen, we live in a messy messy world today. If you travel the globe, if you just spend time on the news, you will see we live in a world that is wrapped up in brokenness, despair, mess, war. We go into Ukraine, into Russia, we go into the Middle East today. We will see the outworking of what this statement really speaks against in that love of power. And I love what this guy says, look forward to the time when the power of love will replace the love of power. We see that today, people all over, so destructive. It's destructive to humanity. It's destructive to culture. It's destructive to our nation. It's destructive to the nations of the world. It's an incredible thing when we look at it in that way, people wanting and pushing, believing that they could be more powerful. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes to the Corinthians church. Now, the, the, the challenge with Paul's letter to the Corinthians church he's writing to pretty messed up people. I've spoken on this before and it's the truth and a reality that we've got to understand. Paul isn't writing to wonderful Jewish people that have lived by the law and outworked their lives well. He's writing to Gentiles who've come to Christ out of a incredibly twisted and broken humanity and broken world. Now they've come to Christ and they're messy. If you read through the book of Corinthians, you will see... Paul addresses a whole bunch of stuff. He addresses a broken sexuality and people's messed up thinking around sexuality. He addresses the the way that people are acting and and treating each other and the way that they, they outwork even in the church world. He's speaking to people that are pretty messy. And he now comes and begins to speak through leadership and begins to speak through the development of their lives. And in chapter 12, he actually says this. Listen, you all have gifts for your life. In chapter 12, he says, every single one of you, and I want to say to the church, we all come and sit here from our different backgrounds and our different upbringings, and we bring our lives to church. Now, some of us just bring it fresh to Christ, and we're just trying to work through ourselves, and we're trying to work through ourselves. But then in amongst that, realizing that God's gifted us with giftings and ability that are our work through the kingdom of God. Paul's doing the same here with these guys, and he speaks to them. He says, hey, you all got different gifts and talents, and he, he draws the picture of the church like the body of Christ. He says that we're all body. You know, we've got hands, we've got feet, we've got mouths, we've got eyes. We all come together, and that's what happens with the church. And he says, listen, we have the same spirit that brings the giftings together that we could become a body that is powerful and causes growth and life. It's a powerful picture. But he finishes off, and he says this, In verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. But earnestly desire the best gifts. And then he says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Listen, this is a funny thing. Like he's talking about the gifts and talents that we all have and he finishes and he wraps it off and he says, now earnestly desire the best gifts. He's not saying this, find the gifts that are gonna give you the most power over people. That's not what he says. You know, some people read this and they like, well, I gotta be a prophet. Oh, I gotta be a pastor. I gotta be this. You know, I I remember somebody saying to me one time, you know, that, that leadership thing, you're a pastor, that must be an awesome thing. I wanna be really, can I have a real brutal, honest moment with you as a church? If you asked me at 18 what I wanted to be in life, my answer wouldn't be what I wanted to be. My answer would be one thing. I don't care what I am as long as I'm never a pastor. This is true. When I was 18, that would be my answer. It 100% would be my answer. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I know how you lot have treated pastors. I don't want to be one of them. That was literally my response as an 18-year-old. As a 19-year-old, Jesus got a hold of my life, turned it on its head, and listen, my dream at 18 was to be a rich businessman that traveled the world surfing and fishing. That was my whole picture of life. That was it. That was maybe, maybe adopt a kid because I'm never getting married. or too busy for that surfing and fishing. And God turned my life upside down. And he's just turned me around for Jesus Christ. And he gave me an amazing wife. Praise Jesus for that. Turned my life on its head. In a monk's turn in my life when I said, here I stand before you as your pastor today. Because you know what? Sometimes I understand that God has a different picture for our lives. This was a God idea to be a pastor. It wasn't Tim's idea. I didn't want it in any way. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, now, desire the best gifts. He's not talking in a human perspective on this. Uh, Just recently, I was in the Solomon Islands. And uh, when I was over in the Solomon Islands, On the Sunday after church, I I spoke in the church over there, and on the Sunday after the church, Wendy and I, John was there with us as well, and we went to a different village and they were doing a grand opening for uh, Anglican Church, I think it was an Anglican Church, this vast grand opening. Now we went down to this tiny little village with just a few hundred people in it, and there was thousands of people at this massive grand opening. You couldn't even drive your car down the street, and, and we're all just turned up, and as pastors Wendy and I and John as leaders we get pulled over and have to sit in this special tent and now we're sitting in the special tent which was actually a pain because before that we're sitting under this nice cool tree and now they took us into the special tent that I'm sweating straight away because the special tent was like 7,000 degrees so we're now sitting in the special tent with all the special people as, as pastors and leaders there and you know we're getting the special treatment which meant they bring the food first and we didn't actually get to pick what food we wanted so then we get the bad food it was a bad place to be let me just say <laughs> at the end at the end of this special treatment in the special tent they give us this basket full of special fruits and vegetables and food now they give us this basket uh in the basket wrapping around the basket was betel nut if you don't know what that is that's like a local drug that everyone chews. Gives them red teeth. They eat it with lime. They spit it on the ground. There's like red everywhere. And it, and it makes them just talkative a little bit and a bit whatever. They give us this basket, and now i got to like, carry it with me. Uh, John's walking to somebody. He's like, Pastor, you shouldn't be carrying that basket. He's like, that would be like walking through a Nala with a bale of marijuana on your shoulder. <laughs> I'm just like, man, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place here. I don't want to be disrespectful and say thanks, but no thanks. And John in my ear going, what are you carrying that for? I had to walk through like a couple of thousand people and I chucked it down the other side. And then everyone else like raided and stole all the beetle nut off it. You know, a funny thing, I was standing there and they did this big dedication. And the, and the bishop of the Guadalcanal comes and he's opening the, the thing. And, and then the pastor from the Anglican church was there. And I noticed that both of them were standing there in the celebration chewing betel nut. And look like they've chewed a lot because their teeth are black. And I turned to our, our INC pastor. I'm like, are those guys actually chewing betel nut? What, what is and he's like, man, here, being a pastor in this setting is like, that's your job. And being a pastor, everyone wants to be because in this setting, all the tithes and offerings go to the pastor so he's rich. I was like, well, I wouldn't mind that being in Australia. That would be... Sl- no, i actually not. I'm happy it's not. I'm glad it's not. Because it was the picture of desiring the best position out of what it would gain you in your life. Listen, this being a pastor has nothing to do with that. Listen, in Australia, it's incredibly different to that. Pastors don't get paid that way at all. And uh, it's, it's totally different. It's a calling. It's something that God has breathed into my life. I didn't desire the best gift I just desired to follow God and he stirred a gift in my life and released me to that. Now, I say all that to go into what he says next. He says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. You know, there's an incredible statement there. I show you a more excellent way. He spent a whole bunch of time talking about gifts and talents and serving God with the abilities that have been placed in your life. And now let me show you More excellent way than serving with your gifts and talents. To me, when I read that statement, just that couple of words, I am blown away that the Apostle Paul says, Listen, there is a more excellent thing than just being gifted and having talents and serving God with your gifts and talents. What a statement! It asks the question for myself, What is this more excellent way? Listen, when we read the Bible. We read chapter and verse and sometimes we feel like they're different thoughts and and they're all piled together. No, no, this is a letter written to the Corinthian church and chapter 12 and chapter 13 follow on in conversation. This more excellent way is a follow on when we go into verse 1 of chapter 13. He says, let me show you a more excellent way. Verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, verse 2, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. You know, I read through this verse, and as I do, I see Paul is showing us something profound. Listen, he he lists off a bunch of things. He says tongues, prophecy, wisdom, understanding all knowledge. He says faith, not just faith to turn up the church and survive life. He says faith that moves mountains. He's talking about the power gifts right here. He's talking about the outworking of the power of God in our lives and in our families and the power of God in church, people being healed, the sick being just restored back to health, lives being changed. He's talking about all of these things and he says this, I could have all of this stuff, but if I don't have love, I've got nothing. What's the more excellent way that he's showing us? He's showing us this. Listen, the more excellent way is a way of having love in our lives. Love is the more excellent way that he's picturing right here for us. Now, I've said this before, and I want to reiterate it. English is a stupid language. It's stupid. And it's stupid for many reasons, but in this context, it is incredibly stupid. And I've said this before and I have to reiterate it today because we're talking about love. Listen, Paul does an incredible job of showing us what love is. He doesn't just use the word agape in this setting. He doesn't just use that word. He goes now and breaks down what love is and what it isn't, which is important. It's really important because he talks here in a profound way of a profound topic. Again, in English, we have one word. And because of that one word, we have a mixed up Western culture, a Western culture that's shaped by a broken word that has a multiplicity of meanings, but one word. In the multiplicity of meanings, we have the brokenness of statements like love is just love. Listen, if you want to take that statement alone and we break it away from this entire message and take it for how it's most succinctly communicated in Western culture, we should really say this, lust is lust. That's what we should say. Listen, I know there's just, whoa, kickback. We can't say that in 21st century living and thinking. Listen, listen, if we're going to be brutally honest here in the middle of it, we got to be honest that this is a reality of what that statement is trying to communicate. It's trying to communicate this. You can have sex with whoever you want, whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, and we will try and bring it in the guise of love and then just twist the meaning of what this real powerful word really is and really speaks to. Listen, we've got to be really clear. That world can exist without love. It can exist without the truest meaning of what love is of which the beautiful Apostle Paul takes us and communicates to us so profoundly and so powerfully. He says here, if we have all of these things outworked in our life, but we don't have love, we don't have agape in our lives, we are just clanging cymbals and mess and we are broken. What does this word mean? It means means simply to prefer people. To prefer God. Or at a deeper level, it means to prefer what God prefers. That's the root core meaning of this word. We see that outworked through affection and goodwill into the lives of people around us. Benevolence, charity, all of the things we do for other people are outworked in the truth of what this word that Paul is communicating to A church that is like 21st century culture, broken and messed up in their understanding of this area of their life. He's speaking to them and he's talking to them about the power of that. Mother Teresa said this, none of us, including me, ever do great things, but we can all do small things with great love and together we can do something wonderful. I love that statement. I love that statement. What a powerful, powerful statement. Listen, that can lead us, if we look at this verse, to thinking, okay, we just do good things for other people, and that's love. But listen, in verse 3, he says this, Though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, though I give everything that I have to feed the poor, but if I have not love, he says, it profits me nothing. Paul's communicating, listen, you can do benevolence, you can do charity and not have agape in your life. What an incredible statement. Let let me give you a picture of that. We do benevolence so that people look at us and say, well done. That was so cool. We give gifts so people pat us on the back and say, you're a really great person. We give good gifts so that we get a, Receipt and have a tax-deductible area of our life. Listen, i got no problem with tax-deductible giving. But we have to understand what Paul's trying to show us here is that giving must come out of this fulfilling, fulfilling that just comes with the fact that love overflows in our lives and we prefer other people as God wants us and God prefers other people. It flows out of us. It's a whole different picture that Paul's trying to show us here. I I look at what we do as a community. We, We could clothe people. We could fill people's tummies and not truly love them if we don't bring the truth of Jesus Christ to them. Listen, how does God prefer? God loves putting clothes on backs. God loves filling food in people's tummies. But the greatest thing my God loves is the fact that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not die but have everlasting life. Because God did not come into the world to be a judge but to be a saviour to all humanity. Listen, John 3:16 and 17 is so profoundly powerful that it's bigger than just benevolence and doing nice things for people. If we do all of that and have not love, listen, We're almost out of time. i got a a whole message here. I'm going to do my best in the next couple of minutes just to keep breaking down Paul's words. Can I do that? Can I keep your minds in this for just a little bit longer? Verse four and verse five. Love suffers long. We're going to come back to that. End is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Rejoice. uh, Does not, sorry. Does not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. I'm going to do my best in the next couple of minutes just to walk this through slowly. I feel like in a couple of weeks we're going to be coming back to this. But let me do my best. Love suffers long again. I'm going to come back to that. And is kind. Love is kind. John Templeton said this, As we learn to share and give and care, love increases. A person who knows how to love does not seem to feel lonely or alone. In this sense, the power of love can become a true weapon against harm. Caring, kindness, coming out of love in our lives is so powerful and so profound. That word is kind right there means to serve others. It's a action word. Love in this instance has action attached to that. Listen, because love is easily said, but is powerfully lived. Love is easily said, Wendy, I love you, but the outworking of that love is a profound thing. It is powerful. From husbands in the room, listen, telling your wife you love her is a powerful thing, but showing her by washing the dishes is a more powerful thing. Showing her by changing your child's nappy is a more powerful thing. Showing her by buying her that dress that she's always wanted and shown you a 100 times is a more powerful thing. Showing her you love her by taking the bin out when she has asked you 10 trillion times is more powerful. Can I have an amen from every wife in the house? Listen, men in the room, loving your kids and telling them you love them is a powerful thing. And I tell you, do it every day. Every day, tell your sons. Every day, tell your daughters, I love you. You're loved. Every day, tell them. But show them. Show them by the fact that when they're trying to communicate with you, stop and give them time. Even though I know you're busy. I know all day you've been listening to people's problems in your workplace and it's been killing you and you want to go home and you want to switch on Netflix and forget about the world for just five minutes. But your child walks in and just got to tell you that story. Take the moment to listen because when you say, I love you, is powerful. But when you stop, I know you're busy. I know your head's going everywhere. But you listen, it communicates, I love you. When you buy that gift for that child just to show them, I love you. He says here, love is two things. And then he goes on, he says, it is not, it's not envious or that word probably better interpreted, jealous. You know, the word there actually literally means to bubble over or to boil over, to be so heated with passion that it bubbles over in your life. If you want a modern day picture of this, He says, don't boil over with desire that is killing you. Let me give you a modern day picture. You know those movies that you've never seen because you're godly men and women, but somebody else told you about at work when the couple have just met each other and they go and hang out and then they look at each other and they fall in love instantly because it's obviously a deep, powerful, agape love in their lives. They fall in love instantly and all of a sudden they go from high as they bump into each other at, the cafe now they're in a bedroom and they're trying to tear off their clothes really quickly that's what this word is interpreting again none of you have ever seen that in movies because you're godly people and never watch movies like that maybe some heathen at work ask them about it tomorrow listen he's talking about this messed up kind of love and talking to a people that have only understood that in the corinthian church and listen This has never been more real than in 21st century culture, that think those movies are real. I always wreck movies for Wendy, because at the end of the movie, when they live happily ever after, I'm like, girl, that girl has had like five different partners in this movie, and now she's fallen in love with this guy who she was partners with at the start. Now they're back together after all of this mess. Without a hell of a lot of counseling and without a hell of a lot of God healing that life, I can tell you, happy ever after. Next week is a woman hating on that man, them having a fight, the marriage breaks up, and they're out, and that thing is done and dusted and over with, because that's reality. Hollywood, in case you missed this, is actually fiction movies. And if you're dreaming, ah. I wish that man would love me like my husband would love me like that man I mean to say. If you're thinking that, stop it, you're dumb. It's fiction. It's not real. It's false. Just preaching the word of God this morning. Are we okay with this? Are we okay? Goes on and I'm almost out of time. And I'm only like, five verses deep in a very deep conversation. It says, love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. Listen, those two things are actually intertwining thoughts. It's not a, a puffing up. It's not about, you know, just making this about my own self. In, in modern day language, it's this. Agape, love. This, listen, listen deeply. Love, this is modern day language for it, is not about you. Love is not about me. To make it more succinct and clear, if I'm reading this to myself, love is not about me. Love is always about others. It doesn't puff itself up. It doesn't make itself big. Love, agape, love, doesn't say make me happy. If we bring it into the church life, love in church is not about what I get out of all of this. It's not about the fact that I just have to hear the right message for me. Oh, that worship leader didn't sing my favorite worship song, so I'm not coming to worship next week. I'm turning up at the 10:30 service, another 10. If you turned up at 10:30, church did start at 10 this morning. Marriage in this setting is agape is not about me. Marriage is not about me. Marriage is now, for Tim, is about Wendy. For Tim, it's not about how does she meet my needs? How does she make me happy? Oh, she's over here. I thought she was over there. It's not about that. She's up the back, pointing to somebody that's over here. It's not about how she makes me happy agape love in marriage is about how do I actually please my wife and how does my marriage be about her because I prefer her and I'm being kind to her and I'm not just puffing myself up in this marriage that I feel good and I'm my wife's making me happy and so my marriage is good listen the outcome of that is a broken marriage that's the outcome. That's why one in two marriages today end in divorce because people have believed the lie of love is love. They're trying to outwork it with this mess instead of what the Word of God shows us. If we bring agape into marriages, marriages are healed, made whole, and they grow strong together because it's a powerful, powerful thing. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Verse five, does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. You're going to have to stick your fingers in the Bible because I literally don't have time. To, because There's a heck of a lot of conversation here. Listen, I'm like three notes into a heck of a lot more notes. This is a powerful truth that we need in our lives, that we need to understand. We need to allow God to do something powerful in our lives. I want you to remember this, that Paul is speaking to a broken community. In the Corinthians church, he's writing to a people that their worship prior to Christ was wrapped up in promiscuous living, was wrapped up in broken sexuality, was bro- was wrapped up in messy, messy people with messy, messy lives. And he's speaking to them and he's saying, I want to give you a full picture of what love really is really is for your hearts and your lives. Verse five, I'm gonna finish with this. Agape doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't behave rudely. And it doesn't say you should just love me even with my poor behavior. You should just love me however I am. Agape doesn't come and say, I'm gonna be selfish in my marriage. And you're just gonna love me. You're just gonna love me. You're just gonna love me, because I'm gonna do my own thing, be my own way. Garpe isn't easily angered. Listen, I, I, I want to finish by speaking to the husbands in the room. If we go back to that verse, let me. Can I read it to you, verse, verse five, really quickly? It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. If we break it down, does not behave rudely, doesn't outwork iniquity and mess in our lives, doesn't seek just to be about me and is not angry easily and doesn't then keep a record of the wrongs that are outworked. Listen, you've got to intertwine these two. You can't break them apart and just expect one. I want to speak to husbands. Wives, don't just nudge your husband because I may come back to you. But husbands, let's look at this. We come to love and come to marriage and we say, I'm just me and I'm just doing my thing and this is who I am. Listen, that sounds great and sounds awesome, but it doesn't build a marriage. He says here, we come to marriage saying, I'm not going to behave really. So sometimes we need to change. I got married, foolish and selfish. And 26 years of marriage, Wendy and I celebrated this week, 26 years of marriage have knocked a heck of a lot of selfishness out of my life, and I'm grateful for that. It's a work of God that's done that in me. It's a beautiful work of God that's done knocked a lot of selfishness out of me because I could come and just stay selfish and think my marriage is going to be great because I would come to the end of that and say, Wendy, don't keep a record of my wrongs. Does anyone have a wife that's got a long memory? Listen, listen. Most of our wives have a long memory because it's usually a fresh memory because we're dumb. And if we understand what Paul's saying, he's saying if you bring an agape into your marriage, husband's in the room, you need to change. If your behavior's rude, your attitude's wrong, your outworking of marriage relationships wrong, and it's causing your wife to continually bring up your mess, change. Simple. Simple change if you can't change by yourself get around a godly man that can stand beside you pray with you believe with you speak truth to you because we're going to get to that later on next week when we really get into this some more we're going to speak the truth thing there because love also speaks truth and says you're an idiot stop it, change if you want your marriage to work stop it, change okay now let's go on the wives for a second Wives, same behavior Both ways this goes. Don't behave rudely. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not continue in that outworking. It does not seek its own. Seeking its own says, I don't want to change. We need to realize if we're going to love, we realize that we are the change agent. No wife has ever changed a husband if he didn't want to change. And no husband has ever changed a wife if she didn't want to change. Change is an internal outworking for our own lives when we stop and say, God, I need to change. Shift my heart, shift my mind, shift my life, shift my thinking. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Listen, again, you need to keep your finger in this chapter because we're coming back here because there's so much that wraps in all of this. Let's pray because we're out of time. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for the Word of God and the power of it. The power of it. We thank you for agape that comes best represented in Jesus Christ, best represented in your grace through the cross, through forgiveness that flows into our lives. I pray right now for people in this room that don't know you, don't know your grace, that a day like today, they would open their hearts and their lives to your great grace, that you could do a work in their hearts and in their lives. As we close this service, we heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you don't know Christ today, You say, Pastor Tim, I would love to know Jesus. I would love to walk with Him. I'd love to open my life to His grace. If you're like that in this room, I'd love you just to give me a wave. And I'd love to pray for you as we finish this service. If you're like that today, quickly, just say, Pastor Tim, I need to come back to grace. Maybe you've walked with Jesus before, and you know it's time to come back to Him. You know you need His grace. Quickly, give me a wave in the room. Are you like that today? Across the room. Anyone today? Thank you, Jesus. My God, I thank you. Up the back, that is wonderful. Wonderful thing. My God, today I thank you for your great grace that extends over that life. My Jesus, today your grace, your kingdom, your, your your beautiful life pouring out hope, truth, and life again. My God, I pray you wash that heart, you wash that life with your great grace. My Jesus, I thank you right now for your spirit moves over that life. I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So, for more information about City Point West. Jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.